Just in breaking this. No more bullshit. No more bullshit. No bullshit. No bullshit news hour, which, by the way, is the most listened to news hour in the state of Michigan. Did you know that, Karen? I do now. Congratulations, Charlie. Bravo. By far. Uh, you, you as well. So, uh, let me just introduce who we have on. We'll take care of a little business. We're, we're just going to change it up because this COVID thing's just fucked me up. We have uh, Congressman Paul Mitchell from the 10th District of Michigan, which is Macomb and the Thumb, where I have my shack, Paul. It's going to fall into the lake, and the governor won't let me go see if my shack is falling into the lake. But, Karen, there's news. Is there not? You can, you can go now. You can go. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, she's looked at that. Yeah, on the she's first. Going yeah, she suggests you don't go, but you can go. Well, well yeah, I got it all depends go. on what week it is. <laughs> and um, <laughs> the publisher of the Navajo Times, Tom Arvizo. Tom, good to see you, my brother. Hey, good to see you too. Thanks, Joy. Well, let me take care of a little business. Uh, the, the Facebook Live of the No Bullshit News Hour is brought to you by American Coney Island. Go to AmericanConeyIsland.com. Get your coding kit. Get a little bit of normal Detroit back in your life. Just go right there and order it. I pack them personally. Hey. Personally. And uh, it's like it's like 200 a week now. Good. It's crazy. Great. You know, we got to social distance when we pack these things. So go to AmericanCodingIsland.com. All the fixings in a box packed in dry ice. They're also feeding the police, which I'm very proud to be associated with them. You do something like that, you're a friend of mine. Um, also brought to you by Luke Nowacki, wealth strategist, who reminds you that overreaction is not a strategy for the long-term investor. The market's up, the market's down. Don't gamble. Get a strategy. Call Luke, 248-663-4748. Real strategy, position your investments in retirement, your college savings plan for the long-term Two four eight six six three four seven four eight, and watch this one, Paul. Security Investment Advisory Services offered through Laura Lines Associates Inc. Member FNRS and PC Roller Services Inc. is separately owned and other these marketing name products. Services reference here and or our independent Royal Associates Inc. Whatever. Okay. So Karen, thank you. Yes, I want to say something before we get started, if we can. Yeah. I just want to thank you, Charlie, for being who you are. I know, you know, you got a ton of things. You just, but, but there's a side, I mean, there's a side of you. Everybody sees the sincerity of your commitment of who you are. But there's a side of you that really validates that sincerity, that, that good guy. You just, you're a good person. And I just want to thank you for being that way. There are some things that people don't know and don't see. But I really appreciate that about you. I really do. And I just wanted to say that publicly. So thank you. That's that's a damn lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice of you. You know, I, I try to be, but I'm just a human being. 
But you're well, a good I mean, person, I, Charlie. You are. And, 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 and you know, in this day and age, people take every opportunity, uh, like the congressman was saying earlier, you know, people get caught up in where they are and who they think they are and, and that power struggle and they lose sight of what they're supposed to do. And that doesn't happen with you. And I sit back and I see it so often. I just wanted to say thank you. And I want people to know that what they see is really who you are. Hmm. That's all. There you go. Mm. Hey, hey I, I second that too. I think what Karen's saying is right. I totally agree. You know, that's nice because I need that. Because yeah. I, I, you know, sometimes I wake up and it's like I want to apologize to everybody that I've wronged. You know what I mean? I, I do. And of course, you can't because you're not perfect. But as I've grown older, especially as a reporter, um, it's not the grandiosity, it's not the the prizes, it's not the notoriety, it's not the money. I, I, I have changed in life. And I, with all of you in this in this box, I think we all want something better. We're getting old enough where we've accomplished things. And what do you do with it before you go into the ground? And I just, I guess it changed when I had a, a child. Mm-hmm. I cannot in good conscience leave this. So Paul, you are the sort of a really die-hard conservative Christian Republican, right? Is that about, is that about right? I, I think uh, a conservative Republican, everyone's definition of Christian is a little different, Charlie, but yeah, uh, I believe in faith. I think, uh, unfortunately, too few people have faith in our society, even some that claim to be Christians, let's be honest about it. Oh, yeah. And and Tom, uh, you, you live and you represent the biggest native nation in the United States. You are a traditionalist. You also like to party a little bit, you know, I mean, so Karen, you're um, an elegant black woman from Detroit, not easily pegged. You like your fur coats, but you know, you, you care about the less fortunate. I do. What do and, and then there's Mark, who's a, a narcoleptic, has children. <laughs> he actually really is. He's the first narcoleptic that I know. And and, and look, yeah. we get along. Yeah. Well, it yeah. is possible. I don't believe the country's lost. I believe it's a political trick. I believe it's a media trick. And I think that when people get together, they don't scream like they do through these boxes. And there's no real need to do it because probably 95% of us want the same thing, which is a better world and something better for the next generation. Anybody going to argue that? Nope. Nope. No. That's why you ran for office, Paul. Yeah. And now you're not going to run for office. You're, you're in such a safe Republican seat. Why are you quitting Congress after two terms? Well, a couple of things, you know, Charlie. One is you're not quitting, by the way. You're not a quitter. You're serving your term. So, I oh, absolutely. Apologize. I mean, I, I don't believe in quitting. That's just you. You make a commitment, you finish it. I think uh, some of our some conservatives talk about wanting term limits, but then when you talk about retiring, somehow you abandon things. It's really an interesting uh, kind of uh, you know, having both ends of things. I, I decided for two reasons. One of which is, and you may hear it. I'm in my home office. I have a nine year old, almost ten this weekend. We adopted from Russia that has some special needs. Uh, he needs more time with dad. And the demands of Congress are such, uh, I'm not sure people realize it, it redefines your life. It consumes a big part of it. Uh, I got home middle of the night last night from D.C. I drove there because the flight schedule is so bad. 
So there's that. And the other is, uh, we were talking about it before we started, the tendency in D.C. in any political environment that, uh, I, as I said in my speech when I said I was departing, first thing they worry about is re-election. Second thing they worry about is raising the money to get re-elected. Third thing they worry about is raising enough money to help someone else get elected so you get more power. At best, some days you're dealing with the fourth or the fifth or sixth item in the agenda is policy issues that affect the country. And you saw that happen this past week with the uh, domestic additional funding for the uh, CARES Act for business and all that, where in fact, uh, we're went over two weeks wrangling over political stuff rather than get the money needed for small business, for hospital groups, uh, for medical care. Uh, we need that money. Uh, and we need that money out here. And it took two weeks to get there because of uh, political wrangling uh, and what some people call leverage. And they use leverage as uh, struggling Americans. That's their leverage. And that's just morally wrong, in my opinion. So what you're saying is there are a bunch of douchebags in Washington. It's, it's <laughs> Right? I well, mean, it's what I see is Everything's transactional. This. Everything's transactional. Right. Time. Everything's transactional. It's uh, what have you done for me lately? What can you do for me today? Uh, and trust me, I've seen that since I've uh, you know decided to retire. That it's become a little less. Uh, it's interesting transition. A lot was made about you. Um, I guess the the headline would be you bailed because of Trump in the tweets, and that seemed to be the the pushing point. But it sounds like hearing from you now, it's more about the whole game as a whole. I don't, you know, the Trump is a Trump in the tweets. You know, there are days, uh, some of the things that Trump says, uh, certainly I wouldn't say them. Uh, I get beaten about the head and shoulders by my spouse. Uh, <laughs> and she can hit hard, by the way. Uh, so I think that, uh, you laugh, Karen, trust me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, my view on it is there's been about, I don't know, eight times where I've responded directly back on things that the president has tweeted on that I felt was, or said that I felt was not in keeping with the office and his responsibilities. I have no problem doing it. Uh, here's the interesting thing, by the way. Someone said to me the other day, never, ever has he responded. Has he tweeted back at me? Has he attacked me? And I've been invited a couple of times. I have. I've flown an Air Force One to events with him. I've sat and talked with him. Not a once. Uh, I think there's a difference between saying that's not in keeping with what the role is, which responsibilities are besides attacking him personally. Uh, and I think that's an important distinction sometimes in politics is lost. You know, Paul, I have to ask you this because, I mean, I've been in politics. I've watched politics. Um, I just don't, I think it's so laden with process that it's not conducive for progress. But yet and still, so many people look to elected officials, government officials to impact their quality of life in an immediate way. What do you say to those people? How should they look at politics and, and, and elected officials and what exactly is it for? You know, uh, Karen, it's a good question, and you may or may not know that uh, the organization I, I led, uh, we, we op- we're the lead operator for welfare to work programs over many cities in the United States, Eastern Mississippi. We, we ran those programs, private for profit company that led that effort. And one of the things I talk with our customers about, and they, they weren't welfare recipients, they were customers, okay, is if you depend on someone else to make decisions for you, you are at their mercy. The moment in time you're empowered enough to get a job, to help you get the jobs, the skills, make decisions for yourself, then you can, in fact, decide what your future is for yourself, your and your children. And, and I think that's when, when people sit back and wait for government to tell them what they could do and do it for them. We are we are a weaker country and a weaker society. Uh, and, and that's I think goes back to Charlie. You said conservative. Yeah, I'm a conservative because I believe in it. We help people. We empower people to live their lives and don't tell them what they're going to do. And oh, by the way, we'll give you enough money to get by on. 
that's that's not the way it should be in this country. And that's what makes me a conservative more than anything else. Well, I believe, you know, cats out of the bag. You see with COVID, we're we're at best a second world country. Like Washington, the Clinton, Bush, all of them, all of them up to now. If you let's look at, uh, you know, you're seeing the COVID outbreak in the slaughterhouses, right? I won my Pulitzer Prize working in a slaughterhouse. Yep. The Green Bay Packers, what a packer is, is somebody that worked in a slaughterhouse. Adjusted for inflation, when you worked for Hormel back in the 80s, you made 25 bucks an hour plus benefits. You could pay for your home, send your kid to college. We opened the doors. A lot of illegal labor came in. The wage today is $11 an hour. You can't. As, as as an American person, live the American dream on third world wages. So I'm just upset with all of them. And I'm looking I'm looking now at what happened to our economy. COVID well, that's is, our fault, is, Charlie. That's our fault, in my opinion. I say that because pick a job, except for the meat packers. And I had never been a meat packer, but let's pick other jobs here in Michigan uh, in terms of farm labor, in terms of picking produce. Uh, we've got big... Uh, big carrot operations here and others find uh, I would I hate to say the term Americans, but find citizens that want to go out and do those jobs. We created an expectation that, that it's why, it, you know, find me many people. Well, I, don't no, say, no, let me say right? this. No, go ahead. no Americans always did those jobs. They did when they, when they paid now that they don't pay because I've worked in there. There's no way you can make a living in that slaughterhouse now. And okay. they it's 100% turnover every two years in these places. Sure. It's it's brutish. And and that's why you're seeing the COVID outbreak. There's, there's no protections anymore. So I'm really upset because I'm looking coming out of this, once we get control of this virus, which I'm assuming we will, there's going to be hell to pay in this country. And you're starting to see it in Detroit where shootings are off the hook. We, we, We've lost the cities. And when everybody's saying, my God, well, why is it hitting Navajo land so much? Why is it hitting Detroit land so much? It's because we're poor. We don't, hey, Tom, how many people in the Navajo Nation, which is bigger than 10 states in the United States, it's as big as West Virginia, it's got 400,000 people, how many people have access to water? Oh, like like we spoke about earlier, Charlie, two-thirds of the people have access to electricity and or running water. So there's a third of our people that live out here in the reservation that don't have that. It's a basic necessity of life, and, and we don't have it. And uh, it's not for us not wanting to try and try and develop. It's just uh, because of, you know, the opportunities that we have out here are far, far fewer than they are in, in other parts of the country. You know, we're a no, real people setting, and, and it's tough, man. Yeah, but that's yeah, real. We got the congressman before he, you know, he bolts to greener pastures and does good things with his, his it's your son, right? Yeah, yeah, my youngest. What's his name? Declan. Declan Alexi. Declan? Yep. Harasho. Harasho Drug. Tell the congressman, Detroit has more COVID deaths than the entire state of Texas. Navajo country, if it was its own state, would have the third highest per capita caseload of COVID positive. Is that right, brother? 
Yep, you're right. Exactly. So what, what's similar? What's similar between Detroit and the Navajo Nation? I, to, to me, it's just it's just the, the economy. You know, the fact that mm. we, we have we have less, you know, and it's not again, it's not for us not trying, not wanting more and trying to better ourselves. It's just the conditions that we, you know, we've been uh, uh, had to live with now for for many, many centuries, for generations. And, and, and it's slowly getting better, but it's still at a point where we're still far behind from the rest of the world. Uh, Charlie, it's, Charlie, it's like on a reservation, you know, and, and I don't. Trust me, I don't uh, dispute the, the economic issues that exist at the Navajo Nation, or frankly, even in Detroit, for a big part of the population there. But we have to we have to talk about the COVID numbers in a. I'm trying to think the right word for it. A rational, not the right sense, but a clear sense. First is you have to assess caseload as a, as a whole. And we don't have the data yet, and I say that because you're seeing significant data. From LA area, you see significant data from New York. In fact, just came out with data of the percentage of the population that had been exposed and had had coronavirus or COVID nineteen, yet were not the symptoms were so slight they didn't even get tested. So the point is, is we have we have areas of that in the country. In Detroit area, Southeast Michigan is one of them. Oakland County, Macomb Township, in my district is one of the hotspots. Uh, you have to ask why. Well, part of it is 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 communicable in, in the community. Part of it is travel to other locations. So it's not simply economic circumstances. When you get to the death rate, here's the data in Michigan: the average age of death is 74, and uh, the average person that, that has died from COVID-19 has has two comorbidities. That is, they now they could be generated by economic circumstances. Don't get me wrong. But more often than not, they're either obese, have diabetes, high blood pressure, we'll go through the list. And, and that is driving those numbers in a very real sense. Do we have to deal with those health issues? Absolutely. We've been trying for decades to do that, not very successfully. So whether it's economic or whether it's health, it just shows some inequities that existed and COVID is really illuminating those, in my opinion. Do you yeah. think going forward, say two years out, when we beat this, and I firmly believe we will, Will anything change? Will anybody care about the poor? <laughs> Will anybody care yeah. about the sick? Let me let me stop you. I don't think I think we have to stop this. I think we move be, move beyond the conversation two years out. Uh, and I say that because what motivated and I'm working on. I worked on not bad on this. Uh, hopefully, we're in the near future. Um, Where's it going to run? I'm not sure yet. So I, I tell you, about, I'm not sure. Yet. I just did a draft this morning. Stuck myself to consciousness. What's driven a big part of this is fear because we didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, I think we can agree that the Chinese weren't exactly forthcoming on this issue. Uh, I'm trying to be polite about they it. Lied. They, they lied. They lied. They lied to us. Uh, they hit it. They, and as a result, more of their people uh, uh, suffered from it. I think they may have had over, uh, they significantly more deaths than they're reporting. Let's put it that way. Ended up in the United States, and they're saying now ended up in the United States as early as January. Fear drove it because we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what the mortality rates were. We didn't know how, to, how it was transmitted. We didn't, you know, originally they said it couldn't be transmitted uh, between humans. Wrong. I mean, go through a list of things they lied about. We need to move beyond the fear now that we do understand more about it. We know how it's transmitted. We know how we can do transmission. We know that uh, some level I call it more physical distance and social distancing. I don't want to be too socially distant from people. Uh, we know the proper sanitation. Sometimes we don't do a good job with that. 
I've been told by the boomers are really bad at washing their hands. I, but, uh, uh, you, you know, I mean, we, we know how to protect ourselves, people better in grocery stores and McDonald's and all of those things because of that. We need to now, we also know, by the way, that older citizens, older, older people are far more at risk of this, especially with comorbidities. So let's do the right thing and start to open up our economy, get people working again with the proper safety and protect those people that are such high risk. If we don't do that, by the way, go ahead. If we don't do that, we're going to be economically destroyed. Thoroughly agree. So should should the governor, the governor's office, whomever, put together some standard protocol so that there's consistency? So in reopening the economy, everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody understands if you are in close proximity, you're wearing a mask, if you have to do A, B, or C. The other thing that I would like to see is enhanced uh, food handling protocol. I mean, people, for the most part, are nasty. And I think we're seeing this now. I mean, they are. We've got PSAs telling people to wash their hands. What the heck? But, you know, in the handling food, I don't want to see somebody's hair falling in the food that they're preparing, you know, wearing gloves. I don't necessarily think the existing food handling protocols are enforced at the at the city level. But I really like to see us take this so that things are better in so many areas. I mean, we know that there are disparities. These disparities have been worked on for generations and yet and still they exist. This is an opportunity for us to get it right if we really want to. I, I, well, how does this, how, I've talked how to the governor go a couple to, like, of times. Washing your hands. <laughs> That's Karen, not a problem. I oh, talked yeah. to doctor. I've talked to governor a couple of times at length on this exact subject, Karen. Uh, I've, I advocated that, especially at this point in time, that she put out a public health order. Mm-hmm. That, in fact, rather than tell specific businesses how to conduct their business and how to construct themselves, here's what you need to do to maintain proper health and sanitation. For example, a restaurant that puts plexiglass up between their booths is far better off than one that tries to separate their tables and gets to six feet, but now you're safe, right? Yeah. No, I mean, we need to talk about those standards you're talking about. What are the CDC standards? Something called the critical infrastructure standards. You need to maintain these and all your activities. People are expected to maintain them. Uh, we, we, if we do that, you're seeing it happen. Um, it was, uh, I won't get into what the, rest, what the grocery store was, but a big grocery store around Metro Detroit, it was one of the, the produce kind of markets. Okay. They have the plexiglass up their sneeze screens now for, for uh, cashiers. Yes. Absolutely. You go to, you go to drive through to McDonald's now and they've got little partitions up the screen so that you just put your money in and out and you aren't, you, you don't have that risk where you're in closer proximity. There's no, it's possible to achieve what we're talking about without shutting down the entire economy. And I, and I relate to the governor, I talked to her, the federal vault is not deep enough to keep throwing money out that, by the way, we don't have, we're, we're now to our great-grandchildren's money or something, in order to sustain it all. We, we, can't, we can't offset yeah. the losses. It's just not possible to do. I mean, I can't count that Which, which begs the question, um, Paul, you voted for the, you know, the, the big tax cuts, the Trump tax cuts. Do you, do you regret that now? Now that we don't, there, there's no, there's no fiscal policy left. We're just printing money and dumping it on great grandchildren. Do you, do no, you I, don't, regret? I don't regret it. And the reason I don't regret it is, in at least my district, and I think nationwide, the majority of the tax cuts in the tenth congressional district went to families. Went to families with income. I had to look at the income levels uh, under seventy five thousand um, dollars. But those expire. Also, and the and the business well, tax but they expire because they, well, but they expire because it, it goes back to what Karen said. The process because they expire. Well, no, because they expire. 
Are you done now? Okay. Uh, it expires because for the process thing, the way it was done, the Democrats in the Senate wouldn't let them make that one. It's a whole stupid rule saying I could go through it, but we all fall asleep. Uh, it got jammed. Okay. Um, and we ended up with the way it came back to the Senate was that way. It makes no sense to the average person who's going to listen to this. Just trust me, the stupid rules wouldn't let it be done. Go back to the process issue. It shouldn't be temporary. I don't believe it will be temporary, Charlie. It should not be. Uh, I didn't vote for it that it would be. Let me give I got to say this, Paul. It's a, no, no, it's a simple question. Go ahead. But sure. now, now that we need revenue that we don't have, where do we get it? You don't get revenue by just taxing people more. If you think that works, go to Greece. Look how it's worked for No, that. no, we're taxing less. Nobody was talking uh, no, no, about no, a tax it. raise. But, but if people don't have money. Stop it. If people don't have money, you're not going to get you're not going to tax money. At this point in time, the reality is, under current yes. circumstances, no one, the, the, the big portion of this population are not working. If they're not working, if we're not generating income, right. they can't pay taxes. So you could tax rate whatever you want. Hundred percent. It's like a solvent. Hundred percent. But they're not allowed. Now, to I'm work. just saying, as a as a fiscal conservative, me, right, as a guy who's got a finance and economics degree, I'm looking at it like. During this so-called boom that we had, we were running trillion-dollar deficits while the economy was growing by only a half a trillion. This was voodoo all the way out. It was a house of cards, and I don't know how we dig ourselves out. I don't know we how we get money to Navajo land. We, we could talk about that, but the only way to do that is uh, 60% of the federal budget is on autopilot. Yep. We don't vote mm-hmm. on it. It just automatically right. happens. Some things are as ridiculous as we have to vote for how much money we put into, say, uh, home, say the t- uh, Customs of Border Protection, pick whatever, or, or TSA, pick whatever you want to talk about, or SNAP program. No, it's not SNAP, sorry, SNAP is entitlement. But uh, for example, the feeding the Mustangs on Chigatig Island is an entitlement that happens automatically. There, there's some parts of this that are absolutely nonsensical. Uh, I have a bill with another member, a senior member, about changing that entire system. That the only quote entitlements would be Medicare, Medicaid, and Tricare, because those are benefits people have paid into or earned. Other than mm-hmm. that, frankly, everything else we have to take accountability for and vote. Because if you put people in a situation where they don't have to make a decision, I have a newsflash about DC. They won't make the decision; It'll be someone else's problem, and they'll spend more money on other things. Now Guaranteed. let's go back to Navajo. Let's go back to Navajo land. Sure, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> The, the 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 health portion, the, the health funding from the federal government that's supposed to help, you know, tribal health issues is bottled up. Right. Where's where's that? Well, you know, Navajo Nation, um, yes, they filed lawsuit against the U.S. government because of the bottleneck. We're saying we need the money. We need it now. And uh, and this is, you know, it, it's it's not a lie. It's the truth. We've got a lot of uh, issues out here from a health standpoint. And again, it's because of where we are and where we live. You know, we've only got like three major hospitals on the whole reservation. Uh, and so you're looking at people running out of PPEs. You're looking at running all, all these different supplies. Well, you know, you multiply that by three out here because we already had less to begin with. OK. And so now uh, it's catching up to us. And so we're in a, in a situation now where we need help. And I, and I honestly can tell you, if we didn't need to actually reach out and say, help us, we wouldn't do it. We get, we've got that, that kind of sense of, of pride, but we're at a point now where we say, Hey, we've got to, man, we've, we've got to. And, and then, and then we, we use that, you know, Hey, federal government, 
It's got to help us. That's part of their uh, treaty obligations to us, you know. Who's the uh, member of Congress, Tom? Who's the member of Congress for your? Who's the member of Congress for your? For the biggest part of your uh, your area there. Uh, well, in our area, uh, uh, God, I can't remember. It slipped my mind just right off it. Um, You'll get it. I'll, I'll, I'll come to me. I'll, yeah, but what? I'll tap dance. I'll yeah, tap but, dance. But you know, and, and only, but, but our con- our Congress people <laughs> really do work with us. But you know, we we've got you know, Arizona's kind of you know is, is a conservative state and. Uh, but the congressman that we have that's working for us is, is, is really a lot of really helpful. They've come out and they've visited with us. They've seen firsthand, uh, but there's just so much need out there, not only with Navajo Nation, but all the different tribes that are nearby. We've got all the Pueblos, we've got the Hopis, we've got the Zunis, there's many, many, many other tribes that are around. And it's just a tremendous need. And it's because, like I said, we, we had less to begin with, and now we're trying to you know, do the best we can with what we have. But why? That's that's my thing. Why? Do you know what I'm saying? These, these are Native Americans. We talked about the fragility of their community and how it mirrors that of Detroit. I heard the lieutenant governor talk the other day and he was talking about the health disparities, um, the, the, the racial health disparities. And they're talking about this like all of this is new. But it's not. I mean, they're they're the, the the president of the American Medical Association is a black woman. Like these things aren't new. Um, why no. are we why are we at you know your issues, Tom, aren't new. Why are we why do they even why do they still exist? I mean, why have we not addressed those things? And what are the factors that we just can't seem to shift that change the trajectory for these communities? Racism. Uh, anyway, is O'Halloran? Is O'Halloran? Uh, yeah, yeah. O'Halloran. Tom, Tom, sure. He's, he's from New Mexico. Yeah. New Mexico. Well, first of all, answer Karen's uh, question, Tom. How come how come Navajo people get the shit under the stick? And well, it's, it's 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 always been that way, man. I mean, you know, if we really want to get down to, to facts and stuff. You know, the U.S. government has also always tried to, you know, shortchange us on everything. Um, you know, they and, and they, you know, if you go back in history, they try to exterminate us all together, but they couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, we're survivors. We're resilient. We're warriors, and so we've done everything we can to stay alive. And and, and to this day, I mean, that, that's still an ongoing battle. Um, that's what they say you know, in Detroit. The, the, the senator talked about how some of the some of the, the the federal budget, how some of it's just automatic. You know, they don't even have to vote on certain things. I'll tell you this: that when it comes to working with the uh, you know the Bureau of Indian Affairs or with the uh, uh, you know with, with the Native people, we have to fight for every dollar. We have, you know, and, and our congressmen are there doing it, um, but politics gets involved. And, and and you've got, you know, it's a lot, and it's always been that way, man. I mean, we've always had to fight, and, we're, and, and our budget is going down more and more every year. I mean, there's good money put in there, but the people are growing, the, the tribes are growing, the needs are growing. And uh, and all we're asking is just to be treated fairly. We, we should be able to have what everyone else has. Again, running water, electricity, you know, that kind of thing. And and it's not like we're not trying. Like I said, we are. And uh, but we're a poor. We're a poor nation. We're the biggest Native American tribe, you know, in in the whole U.S. And, but and, and Tom, you know, um, and, and and we try though. I mean, it's 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 an uphill battle, um, and we're doing the best we can. But there's just certain things that, you know, you you go up one step and then you two steps backwards. You go up another step, and it's kind of been that way, man. Regard, regarding that battle, you mentioned this this lawsuit because there was money allocated from from Congress to Native Americans, um, and in that lawsuit is something you guys are suing for money from the Alaska Native uh, Cooperations 
what is that exactly and why do they not deserve money? Well, that's like a that's like a separate group altogether. And they've got they've got billions of dollars already set aside for their operations. And it, and, and just like a lot of other, you know, um, small businesses that are trying to take care to take advantage of the stimulus money is that they're, they they see money there and they're trying to take advantage of it. Are they not and Native not Americans? Fair. It doesn't if they don't they don't qualify like the rest of all the Indian tribes who are struggling, who really do need that money because they don't yeah, have the, it. But the, these the, guys, they they have a big, they have a big stash of weird money, and you know, and they're, they're, they're corporations. Is that they're corporations? The corporations the Native are, Alaskans are, are corporations, not reservations. And so they're uh, uh, Paul. They're they're qualifying for the government aid. So um, I'm looking at it like me or Tom, who is the publisher of the Navajo Times, an independent business. My brother, Paul, my, my congressman, where my little shack is, I feel like the little, let me do this. Let me grandstand. I don't take anything from anybody. I pay my taxes. I'm a small business guy. The No Bullshit News Hour is a small business. I am solvent. I do not revolt. I, you know what I mean? I, I feel I'm a good, good citizen and that you're my brothers and sisters. And when I ask for help, I got Ruth Chris Steakhouse. I got Harvard. I got the Native Alaskan Incorporated. What about us? Where's my PPP? Where's my payroll protection? I feel, again, like it's 2008 and the big boys got taken care of and they fucked the rest of us. I'm sorry. Well, I, think, I, uh, I, I don't disagree with your, I mean, we had a conversation with my, with my staff and other members uh, yesterday. I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think the package was done quickly and treasury put it out quickly uh, on, on a payroll protection program. The SBA spent 14 times what they spent in a year in 14 days right. uh, wow. and didn't get it all right. right. You'll note that they all, treasury put out a notice to all the publicly traded companies that took any of the money that said they're going to look very closely at whether or not the economic circumstances required them to do so. Ruth Chris has, has agreed to send the money back. I understand. Uh, I think Shake Shack has as well. I don't know that yeah, for sure. Yeah, they did. They returned they theirs. Uh, and I don't Harvard, blame them. I don't. Harvard has uh, Harvard has, has said, well, if they take it, they'll use money for student tuition. Stanford has said they're not going to take money. In the case of the education money, it was done, it was done based on some pro rata thing. It wasn't even an application. In the case of the Ruth Chris or some of those folks that applied, uh, they had to apply for it. They actually knowingly did that. The one that offends me the most, by the way, is some uh, real estate development firm out of uh, Texas that has a bunch of uh, uh, office buildings and stuff. They applied for it. They moved money from their entity to their corporate management entity, paid uh, dividends out to preferred shareholders, and took the largest amount possible out of the Paycheck Protection Program. You, you, I, I believe yeah. there's a moral factor here that we really need to look at and say, come on, guys, what the hell? I, I, I want to I ask you this, Paul, on that. Um, it's, it's been said about $250 million was misused by these larger publicly traded companies. No, it's not that much. It's, it's not? Uh, okay. It, so it's even less. No. But you're talking out of how big was the PPP part of the CARES Act? Was it $350 billion? Initially, it was $350 billion and you've got another... Uh, another two hundred another three hundred billion with additional money put in there. So, so it's, a, it's a huge amount of money. It's a huge amount of money. The stuff that we're mad about it's it's a drop in the bucket. If anything, could could it be said that it moved too slow because a lot of these small businesses can't get their loans? 
Well, here's what happened in some cases. Uh, community banks, the initial participants, they did really well with small businesses. That's why about 60% of the number of loans were done by community banks. So they moved quickly. What irritated me from the outset, and I'll leave bank names out of it, uh, I had some local businesses that worked for the larger banks, you know, the, the bigger boys, and, uh, and, and they were whining that they weren't getting enough of a profit out of it. They weren't getting enough for their overhead. Now, mind you, they got a 5% fee for just processing a loan, and they got 1% interest rate. That wasn't enough. Wow. That's when Treasury said, we'll just buy the loans from you for whatever they are. But you still get the 5%. Now, I have to tell you, I mean, I take 5% just to process paper that's yeah. fully guaranteed by the federal government. Yep. And they were whining about it. And these big banks uh, took care of their bigger customers first because they got a long-term relationship with them. And the yes. smaller businesses, well, I know, the smaller businesses in my community had to struggle with dealing with them. Uh, and still have a problem with them because they didn't care about them. My response to my small businesses, I'd find a community bank and go to them and say, you know, tell you, tell your problems later, guys. Uh, I've not been happy with the big banks for a while. Tom Arvizo, you are the publisher of the Navajo Times. Yes, I am. The Navajo Times used to be funded by the tribe. Right. And, and they would like lock your doors and threaten to arrest you because you were uncovering corruption. You, as a small businessman, dedicated to the truth and servicing 350,000 people figured out a way to privately fund your stuff. It's, it's a beautiful story. It's, yeah, it's, it's an unbelievable story. Did you God. apply for payroll protection? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Did we, you uh, get it? No, we didn't get it through the first time. And you know what? I'll, I'll, we went through Wells Fargo Bank. All right. Uh-oh. That's, that's, that's who we, uh, that's who our whole nation banks with. That's, that's, Uh-oh. they're like the big bank out here. Just, we don't have a lot of choice. So the congressman, whoa. <laughs> there's, you know, I think you might be a libertarian, a, there's a, there's, Paul. Yeah. We, we didn't, we didn't make it this first round. We're hoping with the second round though, that are, that we do actually get serious consideration. I'm really hoping that we, you know, we get something. Now there's a big lawsuit that was filed by a bunch of business from out here in the Southwest collectively against Wells Fargo because we thought we got screwed over because Wells Fargo kind of went and picked and choose who they thought should get the, should get the grants, who should get the loans, I guess. And, uh, and that wasn't right. And, and, and I don't put it past them. You know, how many lawsuits have we had against Wells Fargo now in the past? Um, but yeah, yeah. But we applied. And like corporate, I said, I'm hoping we get them out. And, and, and I think we're, we're a perfect example of a business that needs help. You know, we're a media uh, we're essential. And out here in our part of the country, we'll, the per service we provide is critical. We're, we're on the front lines. We're talking to people who are out there actually getting sick. We're talking to doctors. We're talking to all the frontline people, the police officers, the EMTs, and we're telling their stories. And uh, we're not just giving out statistics. We're talking about the real people that are being affected. And because of where we are, we, we try and let people know where there's resources, where they can go to get food, where they can go to, to get fresh water. So, you know, um, and we need help. Uh, you know, our advertising dollars have dropped a lot, quite a bit, because all the businesses that usually advertise with are, are closed up, you know. Um, circulation sales have went down because the stores where we usually go to sell our paper, they're shut down or access to the papers is, is really, you know, uh, minimal. There's a lot of factors. So I think we're a great example of a business that could use that money and put it to really good use. And, and it's not, it, it would be, for the benefit of all the people that we service. Hey, Charlie, we uh, feel, we, we, yeah, Charlie, we worked really hard 
to make sure that the Paycheck Protection Program did not pick winners and losers. And in fact, SBA was authorized to designate any right. authorized FDIC lender as, an, as a direct lending authority for them. There are now 6,000 banking institutions that are approved for the Paycheck Protection Program because of that. Unfortunately, you still have some of the, and I'll be blown about it, the big banks playing, as, you, as Tom's mentioned, playing uh, you know, winners and losers within their banking. Uh, activity and putting some through and not putting others through as, as fast because they knew the money was more limited. Uh, shouldn't happen that a, way. Here's a suspicion of mine. Tell me if, if it's got any foundation. This in a way is also a way to fund the banks. It's it's to keep their, their, their liquidity going and their balance sheets uh, in the black. In the sense that you go to your biggest customers, you take care of them. That money gets deposited into the bank. Into it's a, now I know capital um, capital caps are almost at zero again. But was this also a way to keep the, the bank solvent? That's being done a variety of other ways by the Fed Reserve. Even more importantly, we're, we're talking about the this whole package of the CARES Act and this additional money that was passed yesterday. By the way, the president signed it today. Right. Uh, the, the Fed Reserve has also put like $2 trillion into liquidity in the market, including bolstering up uh, banks. They also put $500 million into uh, bolstering the municipal and state bond market because it was uh, not doing well as well. That's happening yep. almost behind the, behind the curtain, so to speak, in the Wizard of Oz or whatever. Uh, that's kind of that's going on, which isn't talked about publicly much unless you read the Wall Street Journal, uh, that kind of thing. But that's that's how they're getting more of the liquidity is that way than, than this way, Charlie. But they have to. Well, I mean, the banks can't yeah, fail. Man. We all know that lesson from 08. They, they cannot fail. We can all hate it. We can all complain about it. Maybe they're too big to start with. I mean, how there's a lot of anger towards that, but you have to keep credit moving. You have to keep money moving. That's what keeps the economy. That's the engine of the economy. So Because everybody's living on debt, Mark. No, I know, but that's... Once you start that's defaulting what, on debt, it cascades. But that's what and grows. Then that's how you no grow. But that's how you keep growing besides people. I mean, having more and more and more people. So what should we be mad at the banks for specifically? Because we all want to be mad at the banks because they appear to be winning. Well, I think first, step back. And Charlie, I went to school in economics as well. You, you, you generate gross domestic product or gross national product by two things, more people and being more efficient at generating stuff. Uh, credit can be used to help generate more stuff, but it isn't necessary. And I say that because the question is whether we'll see a change in habits a little bit in people. I think this COVID experience is going to, is going to be a, a result of societal changes. I think the question is, will we see more savings and less, less debt? I, I think that we, we have to yet see how this, and Karen may have an opinion on it as well. I think we to, we're going to see some behavioral changes because people suddenly realize it's not business as usual out here. Will we see corporate? But I, but I also think that people should at some point, you know, have to be receptive. Somebody has to kind of guide uh, because if people knew better, they would do better. And so from a banking perspective, I do believe that people should have a relationship with their bank. I mean, it's a two-way street. I don't care if you're putting in $500 or $5 million. That bank has to be, it has to come, has to meet you in the middle. And this- But I do- That's I, not Karen, real. I, I do have a relationship with my bank, but I didn't realize it wasn't as good as some other ones. Well, I understand that. I mean, but just like, you know, we've gotten a couple comments, you know, they're talking about Tom. I mean, they, maybe they need to, I mean, you may not have a lot of options, but perhaps you need Tom's to look at it. 
another another bank. Um, so I mean, yeah, there are there's always going to be bigger, but you still got to have a relationship. This is where I hate to say it, but you know, I have some money in my credit union. That's a whole different ball game but, but Karen, because you can you can reach out and you can engage in a different capacity. If you have two, if you sorry, have two, Mark. if you have two customers, who are you going to have forge a better relationship with? The one that makes Why you the can't most you have money. Two? Why do you have to pick? Well, okay, because so you, because it, there was it's just human nature. There was a, a there was a time limit and a, just a certain amount of money. That's why. That's that's from personal experience. But what For I will tell everybody, yeah. if you're a homeowner, okay, that there's some hope. David Hall and Hall Financial care about the community. Smooth. That's why the team at Hall Financial is working from home Smooth. around the clock to help people save money by refinancing. Listen to this, Tom. Okay, yeah. listen. It's a great time to look at your options, and that's why many people are refinancing right now. If you haven't refinanced in the last year, Hall Financial is there to help. Now's the time to lower your monthly payments, which, come on, come on, mortgage, mortgage rates are at an all-time low. Keep some extra money in your pocket as we go through turbulent times. And by refinancing, you can probably skip up to two payments. So why not see if you can save some money or cut your term? If you're worried about Corona, don't. Homes can be appraised without someone stepping foot inside your house. Yes, appraisers are doing drive-by appraisals. All financial <laughs> services is the fastest in the business. That's why they have nearly 1,500 five-star reviews from Michigan homeowners. Go to our website and click on the logo to get started to call 248-308-5000. All financial, lower payments, better options, more personal attention, NMLS number 1467435. How'd you like that? That Real smooth, Charlie. Real smooth. But but, what what Paul was saying earlier, and, and I agree. You know, I, I do know that there is some personal responsibility, and this is an opportunity for people to figure out. We talk about Luke Nowacki and you know being there for money. People think that they have to have a lot of money to learn how to manage their money, and I think this is an opportunity from a, a protocol standpoint, whether it's cleanliness and public health, whether it's personal finance, whether it's you know just overall mental health, whatever it is. This is a reset opportunity. And I think that we need to make sure that those resources are available for people to have access to them so that they can do better with what they have. I really do. That's fair. You know, Karen, you were saying about, uh, and I think that education needs to start earlier. Uh, Unfortunately, you don't see in our school systems enough of basic financial literacy, uh, what banking is to get that relationship started so that they understand it. And if they don't understand it, uh, unfortunately, you know this. I mean, you see the college campuses as well. They get all these offers for credit cards mm-hmm. and, and they end up running besides the student debt they run. They've got a consumer debt frequently that's, that's ugly because uh, they don't they, they don't have the literacy. No, wait a minute. This has got a cost to it. And the credit and the interest rates pretty high. Um, we need to work to a better job starting when they're younger in terms of financial literacy. And I agree with the health standards as well. We start yeah. talking about credit. It's, it's a real problem. Well, yeah. now, Paul, I, remind me because I'm going to forget, but I want to talk about the letter that uh, the Republican um, delegation from Michigan sent to Governor Whitmer about sort of the willy-nilly approach to social distancing, shutting down business. We're going to get to that, but I just had this idea. I want to do a lightning round. Karen, Yes. because of the shutdown, how are you going to get your fur coats 
<laughs> proper storage. Well, let me say this. The governor said that non-essential services can be provided curbside. So usually I just pull up, my salesperson comes out, takes my coats out of the car, and I'm good. But on a more serious, and I'm, and I'm serious about that. Yeah. I mean, Answer the I question. I just did. So I'm good. I mean, that's how a non- gonna, how many gonna coats? Do curbside pickup for your fur coat. Exactly. How, how, how many coats now? Share with us, Karen. <laughs> for those for those listening and not watching, let's just say it was uh, a couple a bunch of digits were put up in the air. I'm just, hey, I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm just being honest. But I need my pet groom. That's what I need. I need them to open that up. Maybe take two pets at a time. My dog looks like a stray. I need my pet groomed. God, life's a bitch, Tom. Yeah, Tom. Yeah. Rapid fire question for you. I think the media took it out of context when Trump saying, like, maybe you sh- we should consider injecting Lysol into our veins. I think that was taken out of context. Having said that, do you think if we took urinal um, cakes, chopped them up and snorted them, you could get high on that? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Uh, I know. You know, I, the thing about that, though, when I, when I saw the headline of, of, of you know, what Supposedly, Trump said, "I, I actually, I thought, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> you know, to, I used to be honest. I, I really did. I thought, wow, this is something that I would, I could honestly believe he would say. You know, but the bottom line is, is, is that whole sense of trust and mistrust. Not only, you know, with our tribe, so, but even with the media. You know, the media's ongoing issue uh, with our president is just, it's just been tough. And the fact that the COVID has happened, it, 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 you know, the the antagonism between the media and, and, and the president is just it made our jobs that much harder. Okay. But we're not backing down. We're going to continue to be out there tell you know, let people know the real truth, what's happening. Um, but you know, there's gotta be something better. There's gotta be a better way to understand and work with one another. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the COVID is bringing this to the forefront, just like a lot of other issues, you know, things that you take for granted, things that happen every day that, you know, now you don't have. The COVID has brought all this to the forefront, and and I think you know the relationship with the press and the president, and then and then really the the essential quality or the essential um, services that are provided by the media. I know for us, I can speak for us. We're we're on the front lines, and we are essential as hell. You know, and I consider all my employees essential. You know, and I was actually I never you and I Charlie talked about that term. I said when I first heard it, I really didn't like that term essential. I mean, who's who am I to to judge who's essential and who isn't. Well, me, you, not, you now like, know who's essential. Here's you know, who's essential. Cops, yeah. sewer workers. Well, now, yeah. Power in that line context, workers, yeah. Farm workers, you know, people that actually work and have lost. Everyday people. Right, right. When, when, the, when the golden pairs were falling from the, uh, you know, Wall Street, those that lost are essential because we exactly. don't need bankers and lawyers yeah. right now. You know, Paul. And, and, and oh. well, just real quick, let me follow, just real quick. The yeah. thing is, there is that Charlie. That's how we live. I mean, we're the ones that do that. You know, my family, my relatives, all the people. That's what we do. We're the ones that are doing all the jobs that no one else likes to do. That's true. That's my right. family too. Paul, who's the bigger douchebag, the media or the political <laughs> parts? Well, first, Charlie, let me share with you. My oldest son's a uh, police officer, by the way. Good. Awesome. suburban community he's been right on the on. force Good. about nine years now uh mm-hmm. i believe he did have covid uh he, all the symptoms i think he got a false negative he was pretty sick uh mm-hmm. and his wife is a pharmacist and she had uh, similar kind of events we had a little personal challenge on are they that. better uh, are they so, better now 
Yeah, they're better. They're okay. they're better. But I tell you what, that's you know I understand the concern. Uh, he's relatively he's he's younger than I am, obviously, and healthier. But uh, it still was a challenge for him. Uh, well, I know the, he gets paid. I know he gets paid. So that let's make that uh, he clear. Be, but and, and thank him for be. his service. Thank him for his service because it's a difficult time to be a cop. It's and, always you know, I difficult. I co-sponsored a bill with uh, Bill Heisinger was proposing that that all uh, first responders, frontline folks, get an exemption from federal taxes for four months as part of dealing with this. I think it's the best way to uh, to recognize their service, uh, to exempt them from the federal taxes, their taxes for a period of time. We'll see what happens with that. The answer to your question uh, that you asked, Charlie, because I don't dodge questions, is uh, yeah, nice. I, I tell you what, they both work really hard to earn that honor in any given day. Uh, you could do an award for one or the other. So, I mean, I watched some of the the, the press uh, briefings. I participated in some with uh, the media. And there are days I've had a conversation with some media who said, okay, you're either going to quote me and I'll be tight with my quote in its entirety or we simply aren't going to talk. Yeah. Because you know, we all know this happens. Uh, they take They take three words and suddenly it's not what you meant. Uh, I shouldn't have to parse myself that carefully. Uh, I'm a pretty straightforward I guy. That. I, I, I agree with that. You know, I do. As I like to say, I'm the press. I agree with that. I'm not going to take you out of context, right? Because there's no need to do it. Again, uh, this morning, my wife, she watches the Trump briefing every day and, and be, for high humor. And she's in bed <laughs> snorting like, oh, God, this guy. And I said, why are you even watching it then? Because it's entertainment to her, but I don't listen to them. I guess I should. But what I was hearing about, you know, this Lysol, he didn't say inject this shit. What the guy was saying was, hey, scientists, do you think maybe we could, you know, in his dumb Trump way, hey, do you think maybe we could study this? I did not at all hear Trump advocating for shooting, uh, well, you know, fish tank cleaning chemicals into your veins. I've listened to the uh, the updates that uh, uh, Governor Whitmer has done. I've listened to those frequently that uh, Cuomo's done as well. Uh, I tried not to listen to de Blasio. I tried, had to beat my head on the desk. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. But, this guy, yeah. I'll be very blunt with you. I think that uh, all of them has said things that I'm going, what? Uh, they don't make any sense. Some are, I know, are patently untrue. We get into that, but I'm sorry. I know I've got the data, and that's just a pile of. Uh, well, I had to clean it out of the barn here for the goats a little bit later, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it's it's not true. I know it's not true, uh, and and that's why I go back to this conversation about the fear around COVID. All of the both the media and some of the elected officials need to step back from causing people to be so deathly afraid because, and at some level, it's reached again another moral hazard. My God. Uh, and, and there's stuff being said that's patently untrue. Do you think that's because no, we're in an election Hold on, sorry, year? Mark. Hold on, Mark, just real quick. So make me some news, Congressman. Listen, here, here's where I'm from. My mother voted for Trump. My brothers did. My community, I know people. I, I love them. I love, you have a, every right, and I understand why, right? And this is no judgment on anybody that likes the man and we vote for him again. But how big of a douchebag is that guy be honest now i mean is is this guy a nut i've flown with him now a couple of times and talked to him extensively as it been of the oval office um president trump is a personal guy that 
is like a lot of the politicians, they're transactional. And uh, if you attack him, he'll, he'll, he'll kick you in the groin in a New York minute. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a New Yorker that would, uh, you know, would run his mother over if he had to. And that's just a, that's different than us in the Midwest. Uh, and I think that's that people have to understand that. Unfortunately, he's just more blunt about it in politics than some of the other politicians. And well, you know, I, I, I do mean in the that, Midwest. I'll run your mother over. See, in the Midwest, I'll run your mother over, not my own mother. Well, I had a saying when I ran the company, I'd fire my own mother. Oops, I can't. She's dead. But the reality <laughs> is, uh, you know, you, you, have, you have to have standards. But I don't see. Uh, and I understand what your perspective. I don't use a term. I don't use the philosophy of who's the bigger douchebag. It's who you, who you trust on an issue or not. And are you going the right direction or not? My dad, I'm guaranteed he was a, he was a retired UAW guy, okay? Worked the line. Mm-hmm. He built trucks in the line. He took an early out when his plant closed because of NAFTA. Um, he voted for Trump before he died. He voted in November and he died late December. Uh, and the reason he did is it, he felt that uh, the Democrats that he had supported for a long part of his life failed to look out for the folks that go to work every day and pay the bills. Agreed. And uh, that that's why in, the, in this district out here, you've got a lot of the Reagan Democrats became Trump voters. And uh, there's a reason for that. And I think we have to recognize that that's uh, the dynamics of the political parties have changed. Oh, yeah. Trump Are you going to vote for him, Paul? This fall? Yeah. Um, Given the given given the candidate choices, yeah, I am. Uh, I don't. I I think Joe Biden is an example of the worst of politicians. Uh, he's been on multiple fronts, multiple sides of many things, and I'm trying to think which uh, former Secretary of State said that uh, Democratic Secretary of State that said that uh, Joe Biden has been wrong in every foreign policy issue for decades. Um, you know, I think, for example, I think Trump is absolutely right to tell the Iranians that next time you guys make a run at one of our warships, we're going to, excuse my language, we're going to sink your ass because we've had enough. Guess what? Newsflash. I'm a good Irish boy. I'd have done that a while ago. I mean, you want to, you know, another conversation I had with the, the Turkish uh, parliament folks about what happened in Syria when they came and visited me, but it was colorful. Uh, so I had no problem with, uh, with kind of how he approaches some of those issues. Clarity is important when you're dealing with those issues, and it is. We respect Mattis. We respected Mattis when he was abundantly clear what was going to happen, like from North Korea, for example. He told North Korea exactly what was going to happen if they screwed around with us in very clear terms. That's okay, but when Trump says it, he's a douchebag. Come on, guys. <laughs> Mark, question for you, lightning round. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's the difference between an automobile and a matter baby? <laughs> An automobile and what? In a matter, baby. I have no idea. You mean what's the matter, baby? Sure. Oh, what's oh Jesus? Nothing, baby. What's the matter with you? I'm very, I'm very ashamed at myself. Hey, um, okay, listen. um, Are these though? Yeah. Big news! Big news out of the Midwest. Want to hear what it is? Okay. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, right, has right. ruled that students have a fundamental right to basic education. That this is this is a right. Right. This is going right. to this, this is going to the Supreme Court. There was actually somebody in the state of Michigan fighting this supposition 
that every child has a fundamental right to basic education. What does that mean in your part of the country? Well, what it means out here uh, in on the Navajo Reservation is being able to have the resources that all the other schools, say in Phoenix and Tucson, that they have. That we have, we have books. We have we have safe buildings to have work to have classrooms. We have that sounds like Detroit, Karen. We have safe water for the students to drink at the water fountains. Safe so water. This sounds yeah. like Flint, Karen. Oh, there's there's some schools where the water is tainted. And so they 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 completely shut off the the water, and they have to have water bottled water brought in. There's just a lot of things that uh, uh, you know. Holy shit! This sounds, when, this when sounds you, just like the that, Yeah, and that's not even getting to the actual teaching part. That's just basically providing what you know the students should have, just like everybody else has. Another hey, Charlie, I can't I can't drink the water in my office in Canon office building. It's the same issue. I can. Um, see, I'm just going to go take a piss around the corner, but I can hear you. Keep talking. Good luck. All right. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, when I it comes to you. when it comes to the classroom, though, it's actually it's being able to, uh, you know, being able to teach our students in a way that they would understand. You know, all the testing measurements that they have these days really don't apply to our students out here. It's not because they're inferior or, or less, you know, um, able to comprehend, but it's just that the the measurements aren't aren't fair. Uh, and so what we've asked uh, our leadership is to provide instruction that brings more cultural meaning to the studies. It brings more uh, like using uh, Navajo language, the Nay concepts uh, that helps the students to better understand what's being taught. And there's a, there was a study that was done where it came to science, math and technology, where we applied Navajo principles, Navajo meetings to how it's taught, and the students were able to grasp and understand it a lot better. Once they were tested, their scores were higher. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, you know, being able to have access to uh, a basic education, there's a lot of factors involved with this, um, but it's something that I think uh, we take quite seriously. Uh, our schools, just like any other schools, we have a lot of issues that we got to deal with on a daily basis, uh, you know, when it comes to bullies comes to peer pressure. Suicide is really high on our reservation. Yeah. Um, and it all comes just from a lot of different factors, you know, that, that play into going to school. So what about opportunity I mean, though? I mean, if, 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 and we, we talk about this, we push education, uh, but once you're educated, are you afforded an equal opportunity to participate in, in the economy, but you can get a job. And, you know, you talked about, um, you know, doing the jobs that nobody else wants, but if in fact you have the same opportunity, you are educated, why, why is it the elevation opportunity there? Well, you know, good question, Karen. And, and uh, that's a big issue in our reservation. We say, oh, we, we, we tell our young people, go get an education and then go to college, go get a higher education, learn how to be a lawyer, learn how to be a teacher, uh, learn how to be an engineer. So you can come back and bring those services back to our reservation to help make our reservation better. Um, and, and that concept sounds really, really good, but when it comes to reality, it's just, it's, it's not happening. Uh, you know, and I think, again, it goes back to the economy. The opportunities for when our students come back from college are, are, are far fewer than they are if they were to stay in the city. Um, and they leave, students, right, Tom? You know, what's that? Leave. Yeah, they basically, they don't come back um, because they can get a job in the city. Uh, whereas out here, we don't have those kind of opportunities. But it's changing. I mean, it's getting better. I got to say that we're trying to do better. Um, but again, I don't know, Tom. We're, we're See, behind. I don't know. You know, we're, we're two steps behind everybody. Else. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't know. You said it's getting better, but now we're, we're in this 
whole new era. Right. So we don't know what's on the other side of it. So Paul, this O'Halloran guy, he's a Democrat. Good guy. But okay, so you know, I mean, there's see, there's common things going on. Would would you? Can you promise me and Tom that you'll get a hold of him and maybe have lunch before you know you pack off and go away? That you know, maybe Michigan and and Window Rock can <laughs> forge some kind of relationship. I, I know Tom well. Tom came into Congress the same uh, term I did. He was new there uh, a couple of years ago as well, last, last term. Uh, I'll have lunch with him as soon as we're not social distancing. But uh, the other thing, Charlie, is you know, I'm a member of the uh, Problem Solvers Caucus. It's 50 members, uh, 25 Republicans, 25 Democrats. They have, it has to be even. And they're across the political spectrum. I admit I'm probably one of the conservative one, more conservative ones in the group. But there are folks on that like uh, Jimmy Panetta, Josh Gottheimer, uh, you know, folks that, you know, cross the whole spectrum where I, I think we were talking earlier about why we had to struggle with media and politicians. And you see it also on my social media page, as you see it, it's a lack, lack of respect for individuals. You can disagree about issues. I've got things I disagree sure. with Josh about it with, with, with Tom and others, Jeremy Panetta. There's things we agree on. We can find a means to agree on. You can disagree about somebody or something without being disagreeable, without attacking somebody. <laughs> without diminishing their their intelligence or their well-being solely because you don't like their idea. And uh, that personal attacking goes on far too frequently in uh, far too many venues, social media, also political, and it's damaging, it's destructive to our country. Because it's all business. Now, let me just do this one. Speaking of business, we have a, a, a sponsor, a friend of the show. It's a ADR Consultants. They... Um, uh, Basically, I don't want to read this. Basically, what they do is uh, they advise you like as a contractor. So I went out to a job site because that's what we do. It, they're not shut down. There are ways to work. Like, um, for instance, they're redoing a, an apartment block. Because it's necessary to have a fire escape, right? They're putting in the whole fire escape. You're able to work. They, they socially distance. They have the respirators. There are ways to work and if you don't know how to navigate it call ADR consultants seriously because I don't talk about anybody on this program that I don't believe in I just won't do it you can call me 248-318-9424 get the job done right on time on budget and right now honest ethical smart ADR consultants 248-318-9424 talk to Barry Ellen Tuck his people are working and no doing dancing around the bullshit, getting back to the point of uh, you, Paul, and the Republican uh, delegation of Michigan writing a letter about 10 days ago to the governor asking what? Well, Some I, kind I, of I, sense? I'll be honest. I, I drove that letter, and it, I think, Karen, it's, it's along the philosophy that you were talking about. Uh, that as we move forward with this, with the current shutdown orders, that we take a step back here shortly, uh, and that we simply issue a public health directive and provide assistance to businesses, individuals, provide information about public health standards, about the CDC standards. What's, how do you keep your, your yourself, your families, and your communities safe given COVID nineteen? The whole discussion of we'll open up the economy when it's safe is is frankly nonsensical. First. We could test you today. You could be positive tomorrow. You could have the coronavirus right now, but not have a high enough viral load. You could you could do these serological testing 
but we don't want to sure what level of antibodies you have to antigen you have to have, in fact, to be resistant. There is evidence now you can give it a second time. We can go through all the list of reasons. Oh, by the way, Iceland did uh, te most testing of any nation I've found so far as a percentage of population. They did random testing. They found about half their population were asymptomatic positive cases. There are people wandering around right now that have this. We can't create a safe environment that there is no guarantee that we can test everybody and you won't get it and it's all, all going to be okay. So what do we do? We go to the CDC standards. We go to what's called CISA, the critical infrastructure standards, and provide a safe environment for people and protect people like Paul, seniors and, and Paul, keep them from being exposed. English, please. <laughs> CDC standards. CDC standards. But where Regular, you know, uh, you you were you were saying this, it's willy nilly. Center You're for Disease down. Control. Center for Disease Control. They're out there. We talk about it. Uh, if you're in public, wear a mask. If you're sick, stay home. Wash yeah. your hands. Use hand sanitizer. Don't you know the whole custom? We stopped it. Debbie Dingell and I were part of a big thing in Congress. Don't shake hands. Bump elbows. Cover I your mean, mouth. Do, cover do, your mouth. Yeah, you were, yeah. Cover your mouth with your elbow. Don't sneeze off in the air. I mean, we're talking about things that. We try to teach our kids. We didn't do very and cover your mouth when you yawn. I don't know if people realize that. I know that's not part of it, Mark. But it's like <laughs> I hate when people yawn and they don't He's cover their mouth. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's fine. But people don't realize <laughs> you spew your saliva and nobody wants to look down your throat. Cover your mouth. Uh, Paul, go well, Paul, so, I want to say this. I want to say this, Paul. Sure. Here's what a leader does. What you did was you, you guys wrote a letter saying, Wait a minute. I mean, I can go into Home Depot and use this aisle, but not this aisle. I can go get a lottery ticket, but I can't get lettuces. Let's have some sense. But as a leader and a good one, you wrote, and I appreciate you doing this. She was right in issuing the initial executive That's order in an right. effort to protect public health. Now, I got to give her credit because today she heard you. As, as not the czar, but a representative of the people, she's relaxed some of the ridiculous things. Right, Karen? Go ahead and, and enumerate. Well, yeah, uh, you can now travel if you have a home in another part of the state. She encouraged you not to, but you are able to. Uh, you mm -hmm. can now go and uh, if you have a motorized boat, that is acceptable. Uh, Non-essential services can be uh, used if, in fact, they're curbside or delivered curbside. And thank goodness we can have our landscaping done. So those were the, the four issues. She said she'll continue to reevaluate and continue to slowly open up other businesses as appropriate. And Charlie, it's too, it's too little too late. And I say that it's too little. I won't say too late. It's too little. Because how does that, how, how do we then put that in place for manufacturing companies that are generating the material that's needed for either parts manufacturers or even some of our defense manufacturers that need parts? Uh, we, we, what I advocated and continued, and I talked to the governor last Saturday before, was put out a public health order, stress what we need to do, tell businesses to plan around that. And then, as I said to her, if someone is a bar that has people jammed elbow to elbow, butt to butt, then find them to the end of the earth. If people are having a black party in their backyard with 100 people there, find those people because that's just plain stupidity. Make an example of the folks that simply refuse to do the right thing, but help, help people understand what the right thing is and move forward. Instead of being piece by piece, you cannot micromanage the economy. You're going to screw it up, and in so doing, you're going to do damage. And uh, this is better than a stick in the eye, as my grandma used to say, but it doesn't solve the problem. 
Paul, does the uh, federal government or the state government, do they do risk analysis like businesses do to say, look, if we uh, relieve this, you know, we, we see these models of who's going to get sick. We know maybe they're at the end of their life. Maybe they're at, they are from a different economic situation. So, you know what, to get the economy going, it's worth risking the deaths of, say, sure. 200 to a million people dying because it's, it's a risk analysis to help in the economy. Do they do models like that? Well, let me give you, there's two sets of models. First, part of the models you're talking about, actuarial models are done by insurance companies. That's why your insurance costs, like health, life insurance is so much higher, mm-hmm. or health insurance. My health insurance keeps <laughs> going up as I get older, okay? Uh, there are models that are done for these kind of health concerns. And that's part of what resulted in all the the, the pandemic concern, because they, had, they didn't have good numbers to develop this range of concerns. If you remember, at one point in time, the number of hospitalizations and deaths that were projected were huge. We didn't have information about how many people were already infected, a whole series of things. So that um, the the outside, the, the high-end projections were massive, and that's what the media was playing up, which is fine. They do their job. But the, the hard data is saying it's not as bad as that. Ultimately, the mortality rate will be slightly higher than uh, the flu. It will be higher, by the way. It's no question it is going to be higher. It's slightly yes. higher than influenza. It's about 0.5, uh, the last I read. Yeah. Isn't it about 0.5? That, that, yeah, 0.5 is the number they're giving right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, and this is where I get irritated about being factual people. I talked earlier about I'm offended sometimes people start talking about data that's not real. Yeah. Uh, the state right now says the mortality rate is 8% on their website. It's 8% because of what they've confirmed as number of cases. Mm-hmm. This what they've confirmed, or my other testing people have confirmed, or my. It's not eight percent of the people that get COVID nineteen die. Yeah, and that kind of fear is really a problem. Um, You know, but do do they weigh uh, do they weigh that versus an economic model to say, hey, we could lose this many of from this sector, and and it's worth. Hey, stop digging. Sorry, my Who dog. Are you yelling at? Up the yard. Well, mine does all the time. The no yard. one, yeah. no one wants to say that, Mark. But they no do. one wants to say that. Let's be honest about it. Um, and then people talk around it. Um, I've said it a couple of times, and people are a little appalled. We've got to pay attention to the fact that we've got to have an economy and a society that will function for ninety-eight percent of the people. Because if we don't. Uh, hell's gonna hell's on the other side of that. Yeah, hell's, hell's on, on the, the other, other side, side of that. And if you yes. think through the range of problems, uh, carry some of this. I mean, look what's going on in the world right now with Iran, China, and Russia stepping up their uh, insanity in the midst of all this. You think that's accidental? <laughs> no. Hey, Arvizo, because the most important color in America is green. Yeah, you're right. right. And. And what what the what the Navajo Nation has done is they're like okay we're gonna we're gonna get a, a control of this. They've now said, look, uh, your government said if you're gonna be on public, got to wear a mask, right? right? So yes, explain mandatory. to me, explain to me what what how did it spread so much in in such a vast rural area? Was it was it? I, I know people live communally and in small villages. Was it the kids went to town? You know, went to Gallup, had a drink, came home and infected grandma. Is that what happened? Well, basically, you kind of got the, the concept, right? What, what really, what, where it really started is our reservation is so big, okay? And it's in the four corners. It's actually in, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, southern Utah. Um, but on the western side of our reservation, uh, which is really rural, communities are widespread. 
But our way of life out here, everyone lives close together. You know, when you go out to a family's homeland, there are multiple families. There's just, there's grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, brother, sister. Everyone's got their houses. They're all like in the little, you know, they're in their own little community. And so when something like this comes in and something like the COVID, you know, they're, they're close together. So that's basically what had happened. There was some church gatherings that happened uh, out in the western side of the reservation. Someone who had the, had the, the COVID, didn't know it, of course, came to, came to that uh, gathering. And that's where it really took off because then, you know, it just spread with everybody. And so uh, and then they all left and went back to their home communities. And then from there, they went, you know, into town. Uh, and so it just spread. It just went. Who's you know, going into town? Yeah. Who's going into town? Well, nowadays, not very many people. Right. Um, but Was it the old people or the young people? It, traditionally, it's the older people, you know, because they're the ones that got it. There's not a whole lot of grocery stores out here, you know. And so when you want to get the, the real major stuff, you want to go in and buy your, your food, like, say, for the next two, three weeks of the month. You know, at the beginning of the month, you get your, your retirement money, you get your Social Security money. So the elder generation is pretty much have a custom of going into town and they buy they buy their groceries, they buy their gas, they buy uh, hay and feed for the animals, and they bring it back. So it's kind of been that's the custom, you know. So that's so kind the of old like, people, the old people, they're the ones, yeah, it. they're the ones. And so it's the younger people that are telling them now See, to stay home. You know, that's a trip it's, because yeah, here it's, it's the young it's, people spreading. It's the it's the young people telling grandma and grandpas, please stay home. You know. If you need to go shop, let us go do it. We'll do it locally if we can. Um, so, it, yeah, so, but it's come, you know, over the last few weeks that that uh, knowledge there has helped a lot. I mean, people are starting to really understand just how serious this is. Uh, but the way of life out here, though, people, you know, Native people take care of one another and, and, and they, they stay close together. And so now we're saying, you know, the best way you can love and show your love for someone is to stay away. And it's still a hard ah, concept for people wow. to grasp, I mean, especially out here with uh, with tradition and culture. Um, but it's getting better. I mean, we're starting to bend the curve. It's not flattening, but we're starting to bend the curve just a little bit. And it's because I think we've been repeatedly telling people what they need to do. Like, Tom, just like the Senator Minute went over about washing hands, what the CDC has put out. In addition to that, though, we're telling people, if, if you got to travel, you know, just send one person, let them go do the grocery shopping, let them go get the gas and the hay, uh, and then try and stay local. Try What'd and buy, try and buy the hay. Go and hay. Go get the hay. Animals. Yeah. For the horses. Hey. That's oh, right. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom, Charlie was pointing <laughs> yeah. out earlier, you know, the similarities between the inner city and, and Flint uh, and the Navajo nation. However, a lot of people know about the problems with the inner city. Do you feel ignored? Uh, to a certain point, but you know, you've kind of, you kind of accept it. I mean, that's, it's, it's always been that way. And so it's not necessarily something new to us. Um, I don't know if ignored would be a good, it's just maybe, um, there is a level of ignorance that still exists, even with the media, you know, uh, and how they report on native Americans and how they go, uh, and, 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 you know, take care of things and report the stories. Um, but I don't know. I, We've come to accept it as that's just the way of life. You know, we're not going to uh, be treated fairly. You know, there's always going to be a level of disparity in how how money is looked at when it comes to funding, how certain services are going to be distributed. We've, we've already accepted, you know, that it's not going to be fair. As much as we don't like it and as much as we're doing things to try and change, 
change that kind of thinking. Uh, that's just the way of life, man. And so, uh, well, I want to remind everybody that one way that we all, as people and as a greater community, can get through this is with each other, right? And I, I want to make a shout out to uh, Shonda Peterson, Peterson, and Sheila Dapramont, who are delivering groceries to people, and they brought bags and bags to um, Sinai Grace Hospital to the ER workers there. It was a beautiful thing. And ladies, keep it up. People are following your example. And allow me, if you will, I have, as you know, a lot of stuff comes my way. I'm getting text messages from the federal penitentiary, from the jails. Um, I've been talking to a resident at one of the hospitals here in Detroit, <laughs> strictly through, you know, the computer. And I was gassing up at the Myers and it was him. We actually met at the Myers gassing up because he was buying food for his colleagues. Uh, and he will be fired if he was he wanted to come on and tell you his experience. But he will be fired for telling you what he knows. So I asked him to write something. Would you all humor me while I read it? Sure. Yes. This is from the people keeping your loved ones alive. Hello. There are some serious issues with our medical system that need to be addressed. I am a physician in training, meaning as a resident, at a major hospital in the Detroit metropolitan area, and unfortunately, I must say, the system has failed miserably. I am one of the first physicians who called the parents for a patient to the TCF Center, our, our Cobo Hall, um, what I now call the Total Clusterfuck Center. This was... A patient who tested positive for COVID but was stable and did not need supplemental oxygen and totally met their criteria, which was basically any patient I could discharge to drive home to begin with. He just lived with friends who were scared of him coming back to the house. The plan for him to uh, stay at the TCF till he was done with the quarantine period, get a second test to prove he was negative and send him home. I was elated because we were seeing a lot of patients who tested positive were medically stable and just need a placement until they could return home. The TCF center has been a big disappointment. This week, a patient who had been transferred to the TCF was sent back to the hospital because he was running around too much, and that warranted him being sent back. I am usually a very happy-go-lucky person, but this festivist and I, uh, and I'm ready to air out my grievances, so grab a seat, folks. I chose to train in Detroit because I care about this city. I had a lot of chances to train elsewhere, but chose to train here because you and I share something in common. We love the D and the people that make this city. I work with some of the most badass physicians who I am proud to call my colleagues. We have each spent 20 plus years before graduating medical school. And when you calculate our wages based on hours, uh, we work weekly, still go home below minimum wage. However, the powers that go above and beyond to prove that they do not value us. Before this pandemic, we were stripped of even a free cup of coffee we would get in the morning at our hospital system. Now we have to go searching for personal protective equipment every day before we see our patients. We are grateful to the public and kind donors like yourself who make sure we get what we need. These days, I spend my days off scrambling to put together refreshments and snacks so my colleagues can get a boost as you personally saw me doing early today when I should be recharging for another 10-day stretch of 12 to 14-plus hours. Mr. LaDuffin audience, we need your help, and we need it fast. 
morale is low, and this battle is far from over. Every day when I pull up to work, I'm greeted by heroes, work here signs, but the residents uh, who will be your independent physician in a year or so, when they finish training, are mistreated, ignored, and made to feel like they're not much human, even though the hospitals will collapse if we don't take turns 24-7 making sure the patients are taken care of. Now, I know some of you are disgruntled and unhappy because of the stay-at-home order. I am now living in a rented room away from my family, and we all make sacrifices every day because we are the last line of defense for the sick. Sometimes we lose, and oh boy, those days suck when I call the families at night to finally have to, uh, when I have the proper chance to talk again after the initial call to notify them that we lost the battle. We lay our lives on the line so your families and loved ones can get a fighting chance to die with dignity. The day the protests were going on in Lansing, I was in a room using teleconferencing to help a family say their last goodbye to their loved one. Imagine how crushed I felt when I came to the conference room to finish talking to this family to see Michiganders fighting for their freedoms. Come join me in the hospital for one shift and see the other battle we are fighting that is really worth fighting for uh, and then tell me how bad you really have it. As hard as my days are, last night I got a frantic text from a patient I discharged recently asking me uh, had I forgotten about her too. Apparently, family members who had promised me several times that they would help deliver supplies to her door, food, medications, etc., did not want to deal with her, even though I had educated them about safe quarantining. I had to put my frustrations about this mess of a health system, lack of proper equipment to fight this war, hunger as I hadn't eaten all day, and fatigue from ending a 10 to 12 day stretch of work and deliver so she would not have to go outside and expose more people. These days, I am doing the work of physician, social worker, chaplain, therapist, and everything that comes along with the infection by this virus and the stigma and fear associated with it. I do not do the news and social media anymore because my soul is crushed each time I do by human nature, and I have to stay strong for those who need me. Folks, we have a broken system, and we have to fix it. We have people who need our compassion right now. There's only so much we can do, and soon, if we are not careful, a whole new generation that is supposed to be the future medicine uh, could be sick and unable to take care of you at their best. Last paragraph. Soon our leaders will lift this band and we are bracing for the second wave, which will be even deadlier. Hate to sound like a pessimist, but so far all of my predictions about this damn pandemic have been right. I'm built Detroit tough, but for the first time, I am telling you as your doctor that I am scared. Please stay home and help us flatten this curve. For now, I choose to focus on eliminating this virus from our myth. After that, I will join in fighting every corrupt politician, hospital administrator, or CEO that is responsible for prolonging our suffering. For now, let's focus on eradicating this damn virus. If you think you are young and healthy and not at risk, think again. We made history with the youngest COVID death right here in Metro Detroit. Next will be the young and able-bodied who can mount a re response leading to a huge cytokine storm that will make you so sick you die. We are out here fighting for you. Don't forget us. Do your part and continue distancing. Wash your hands and sanitize. And most importantly, make sure you check on each other 
And if you can help those that end up sick, please do so. Stay safe and God bless. Wow. And I felt I owed him that because he's broken. We can do more, Paul. We can do more, Tom. Yeah. We can do more, Karen. We can do more, Mark. We can do more, everybody. Respect, help people, check on the old ones, wash your hands. Remember, everybody's essential because the meaning's in each other. It's true. And that's what your life's about. Um, Paul, let me thank you for being on, and I want to thank you for your service to the public. Thanks, Charlie. It's been good to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, really. It was cool. Come back. Hey, Tom. Yeah. You've always you've always fought the people's fight, man. And like a you're a regular guy, middle of the road man, fighting for your people and everybody's people. I, I know that you're Dene first, you're also an American, and that you love all human beings. I know that about you. And it was an absolute pleasure. We'll get through it. And you know, God bless America. Try to love one another. Exactly. That's exactly. That's what my late mother used to always say: love one another. And you you hit it right on the head. Thanks, brother. Thanks for all you do too. You know that's why I have so much respect for you because, like Karen says, you're real, you're genuine, and because you're my brother. Yeah, you're my brother, man. And Karen, I will pick those furs up for you, babe. <laughs> you don't got to do that. I'll do that. All right, man. We'll see y'all next week. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Help me, please. 
But he winds up Knocking me It's been a 